You know, I bought you all microphones. At some point, I'm just going to have to buy you the actual computers to go with it. So just like, it's like, this is just your perfect community roundtable computer. Don't mess it up. Don't I actually touch. just called Comcast and said, hey, I think I'm, my internet's supposed to be on somebody else's bill. I don't know if you just search like <laughs> Pursuit or how you link these things, but yeah. Yeah. we're going to give you a $20 stipend every month for internet. Yeah. This is Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon, bringing to you the best in news, reviews, and interviews with people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen. And I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Coleman. It's Bourbon Community Roundtable number 71. And we're joined by the likes of all of our friends to talk about some hot topics in recent bourbon news. And up first, we discuss lotteries versus lines. Now that Old Forester and Four Roses, they've announced that they are no longer going to sell their limited edition birthday bourbon, and small batch offerings in the gift shop, when this is usually the local Kentuckians that were camping out. They have now moved to a nationwide sweepstakes where anyone can enter. So, is this the beginning of the end for waiting in lines for bourbon? There are also six new members that are going to be inducted into the Kentucky Bourbon Hall of Fame. So we ask ourselves, what would be our ideal criteria for someone we would induct to the Hall of Fame? Now, forewarning, we do start analyzing past inductees, and this is because we didn't know the whole story. After this live recording, I was told that some people in the past may have been questionable, but that's because it was a different organization that was in charge of the Hall of Fame. But with this new body in charge, there is one major piece of criteria, and that is the person being nominated must have been transformative to bourbon. And lastly, we cap off the show revisiting an old topic of what is the cheapest bottle of bourbon you need to have in your bar. With that, enjoy this week's episode. And now here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. This week's idea comes from longtime listener Scott Meske, who writes me on fredminnick.com. When did the government or the medical community determine that whiskey wasn't truly medicinal? Were the congressional hearings or major findings in the American Journal of American Medicine? I still find it deliciously medicinal. Scott says. Uh, That's a great question, and the medical community has not completely thrown out whiskey as useful and medicinal purposes. Uh, In fact, you can still find it in the code of some insurance books. I know dental dental outfits in eastern Kentucky still use whiskey as uh, as treatment for some of their patients with with lesser means. So it's still used out there, and um, so it's not completely forsaken. Uh, the big thing that came about was in the early 1900s, after the Bottle and Bond Act had passed, there was a lot of uh, medicinal whiskey salesmen, such as Duffy's Pure Malt Whiskey, that would go around and say that they could cure cancer, they could cure gout, and one of my favorite things that they claimed they could cure was ugliness. And they, But they never said who had to drink it to cure the ugliness. And they also made claims that if you drank their whiskey, you lived to be 162 years old. President Teddy Roosevelt didn't care too much for this, along with a few other issues happening in our country, such as bad vaccines and uh, rancid preservatives. These things, all these things were killing people or making people buy things that were not actually helping them. So he commissioned uh, what became the Pure Food and Drug Act, and uh, that's the precursor to the FDA, and that essentially uh, abolished all, you know, false medicinal claims. And to this day, uh, the distilled spirits community cannot make a 
uh, a health claim unless there's a study to back it up. Now, every now and then we see this get um, get pulled pulled up from like a base ingredient, like in tequila. Uh, agave came out as being helpful for uh, those with diabetes. And so people uh, in the tequila industry who did not know about the particular laws took that um, agave jump to saying like tequila was good for you. And, and that, you know, that got put in its place. But the, the Distilled Spirits Council of the United States does a pretty good job of regulating that. But, uh, you know, after that time frame, there was such a there was such a real nasty taste in the mouth of, uh, of doctors that they did not use it uh, as willingly. Uh, then came the Spanish flu and whiskey was one of the treatments for the Spanish flu. And even today, you know, you will see a lot of claims out there that people who had coronavirus felt like they got cured after drinking a lot of whiskey. So while, you know, you're not going to go to a doctor and they're not going to prescribe it to you by going to Walgreens or another pharmacy, it is still used in kind of like common medicine and home treatments and homeopathic uh, techniques and so forth. Uh, so it's not completely out, but when it comes to like the hardcore mainstream medicine, you know, it's kind of, it's a last resort, if you will. But that's going to do it for this week's Above the Char. Uh, by the way, there's a very good book out by my friend Camper English called Doctors and Distillers that goes into more detail about that. I also covered the history of medicinal whiskey in my book, Bourbon, the Rise, Fall, and Rebirth of American Whiskey. But that's going to do it for this week. If you want to be like Scott, hit me up on fredminnick.com. That's fredminnick.com. Hit the contact button and let me know your idea. If I like it, I'll read it on the air. Till next week. Cheers. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. And they're off for another Gift 270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at give270.org. Charitable gaming license ORG 0002703. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or thebourbonconcierge.com. And you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. Welcome, everybody. We are back with Bourbon Community Roundtable number 71. K 
Kenny and Ryan here tonight with a good potpourri of topics as we start jumping into this. A little bit of a skeleton crew as we jump into it as well, but that's okay. I think we've got some two uh, some guys that, that know what they're talking about, so we'll have some good conversation. We got to get you a better descriptor than potpourri. You said you like every potpourri? time. I mean, All right. well, I mean, it was good for like three eight. times, but now it's like every single time. All right, trail like mix. A plethora Cornucopia of, of uh, mattering. Yeah. You know, okay. A smorgasbord. All right. Well, I I appreciate you know the buffet of of options that you're presenting in front of me. So I'll make sure I put that in my my Rolodex of or my my thesaurus and stuff like that. And I'll try to try to bring out next time for y'all. Yeah, I'm just looking out for you so Lauren doesn't say something. I I, she she really gets on me a lot because she she hates it because she has to listen to me not only all day listen to the podcast, but she has to listen to me all night. And it's just constant. It's just always in her ear. So I'm I'm really surprised that she hasn't, you know, at, at some point just, just trying to kick you. me out of the house <laughs> <laughs> or stab me. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't going to go that far, but if, if we are going to do that, I guess might as well just go all the way. That's right. That's right. But no, always excited for this show. It's, you know, hanging out with our buddies. There's some of the best people in the biz and love just chatting with everyone here and people in the live stream. So, uh, Let's do this. Let's go ahead and do this. So Fred's not here tonight. Fred is doing his thing at Watch Hill Proper. You've probably seen him on all the socials and stuff like that, trying to get people to go out there and drink Dusties on Monday nights. So I think that's going to be slowing down here soon. He'll be able to join us on another Monday coming up. But let's go ahead and you, you already know these guys, but quick introduction. Blake, I'll start with you first. Yeah, I'm uh, Blake from Bourboner and Sealbox. As always, guys, it's fun. Good to be here. Street continues uh, as you know the longest uh, running member of the roundtable. <laughs> You're doing a fantastic job of it, by the way, too. Jordan. Sure. This is Jordan, one of the three guys from Breaking Bourbon uh, at BreakingBourbon.com. Always happy to be here. Looking forward to a good show. Oh, and Brian. Oh, God. You're on, on mute. mute. You're mute. He's on mute. Here, I'll... I'll, I'll, I'll unmute him. I'm trying That's to good. unmute, guys. There you go. You're oh, good. it sounds great. Here. New all computer right. and all. Brian with Sipping Corn Bourbon Justice. Find me there. Happy to finally make it. Oh, Incredible timing. Right underneath the wire, too. I, I love it. <laughs> I love it. All right. So let's go ahead and let's kick this off. So the, the first topic that kind of came to mind, well, actually, it, it happened last week when Old Forester Birthday Bourbon sent out their email that's or should I say old forester talked about birthday bourbon and said, Hey, guess what? Nobody is allowed to come this year to the distillery. We're not having a release at the distillery. Instead, we're going to do a nationwide sweepstakes. And then even today we got the news from four roses that four roses said, Hey, we're going to do the same exact thing for a limited edition, small batch where you're going to have a nationwide sweepstakes that you can enter online and, Really no details to say, when can you pick it up? Are you going to ship? I doubt they're going to ship. But what are the the kind of uh, inner workings of it? It didn't really go into it, but it moved to a nationwide sweepstakes. And that kind of got me thinking because for the longest time, we looked at bourbon and a lot of people were able to go and camp out. And that was a lot of camaraderie was built around camping out. You're able to kind of see a lot of the same people as it's gotten a little bit later in the years. You've seen fights and other things break out, but maybe that's a reason why they're moving this way. But for the most part, a lot of people were able to garner friendships and kind of find people through this particular hobby and just through waiting in lines and camping out. And I'll even kind of even say that maybe Heaven Hill was one of the first people to kind of put the kibosh on this because of 
about a few months ago or maybe uh, less than that, they said, we're no longer doing our releases every single week. Instead, we're just going to kind of just randomly put it out and we're not going to do anything on Tuesdays or Wednesdays where the drop is. So we can see that all the distilleries are kind of getting together and saying, we're not doing any of this waiting in line stuff anymore. So I guess the question kind of begs to you all is, do we see this as sort of the end of lines for limited releases? Or do we still think that there's going to be opportunities for people out there to go and actually put in the effort versus just the one in a million chance you're going to get a bottle? So I'll, I'll kick this off because I've been thinking a lot about this today. So Four Roses, what I, what I love about, here's what I love about this, especially from somebody who's not based in Kentucky and from folks who reach out all the time. You know, the majority of the readers aren't in Kentucky. They're, they're all over the all over the country. So four roses, you're going to have a month to pick up your bottle from September 17th to October 16th. So more than enough time to plan a trip down. And I think it's, it's great for two reasons. I know it stinks for people camping out and it does kill that camaraderie, but it builds a whole different community. Um, and it keeps growing the current community that's out there for bourbon lovers. It gets people down to Kentucky. They, you know, a lot of folks, this might be their first time down. They have an incentive to go. They got a really special bottle. There's going to be a really special trip. They're going to spend a day at the distillery and check out other distilleries. It's going to be a really good opportunity for them to experience what so many of us who love bourbon, who are in Kentucky all the time, or who live in Kentucky, that they get to experience you know, on a daily or weekly basis. So I think it's actually, from somebody who's not there and who doesn't camp out and stand in lines, I think this is great. This is a way to open it up to a lot of folks, and more importantly, get them really pumped up about um, the distillery and, and supporting that specific distillery and others, and just getting them excited about going to Kentucky. I think it's a great win for the state. I think more more distilleries should do that, and um, it'll get more people down. Now, what's nice about this is if they can kind of clump around the same time, so people aren't trying to take like multiple trips a year. But if you know you're a diehard Four Roses fan or a diehard uh, birthday bourbon fan, what a way to like get involved and actually you know tell your significant other or tell your friends, hey, let's plan that trip down to Kentucky. I've always wanted to do it. I got a huge excuse. Let's go. And you know we have a, a month to plan it out and get down there. Versus you know you need to be down there in like a day or something like that. Um, I think it's a big win. So let's go spend $3,000 on a trip for a $120 bottle. Ignore, ignore the cost, <laughs> ignore the cost, everything else. It's more about the experience, which is priceless, you know, but you got to think the, the people that would be entering this lottery already have a Kentucky trip in their mind. And, and so if they win, it's like, Hey, it's even, okay, we really have to do this now. We have a month. So I do think we, we, we lose a little bit of that camaraderie, um, but I think it's kind of the industry growing up. You, you know, Matt said in the chat, like it, it's this, it's the shoe game from 2008 where a lot of that has changed. And, you, you know, these distilleries, while we remember a lot of these uh, events and overnights and everything fondly for them, like they're picking up trash everywhere. There's grown adults fighting over who was in line or whose lawn chair was there first. And, you know, it just causes a lot of chaos and can leave a black eye for them. Um, and it, aside from it being a safety thing of having a bunch of drunk people, you know, spending the night in your parking lot. So I, I think it's pretty good from that aspect. We do lose some of that that small time feel, but it, it's just kind of bourbon growing up, getting bigger. You know, I'm sure there'll still be some stores that do it here and there. But in general, I think the overnight camp out for for pappy or other limited releases is dead you know i don't see that happening in the future so i i hate staying up late anyways so i'm i'm not against it but you know it's just it's a progression of the inter industry i guess the line was just a necessity right because they they kind of fell into it there wasn't interest at first and then there was just this crazy interest that kept building and 
So what do you do when you can't think about it? You just make a line and then you end up with all that trash at four roses and you end up with all those other problems. Um, I don't particularly like this personally because I'm not lucky. I don't win anything. I don't win the <laughs> friggin' door prize at, you know, when I buy a table of eight, I don't, I get nothing. So, so this is going to mean fewer, fewer for me personally, but I guess I got to say it's, if you want to s spread the love and spread the word of your brand, that's probably the way to do it. At least I get two votes on uh, the four roses with mellow moments and then just the regular. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't, I, you know, I agree with both of your all's points and I think it's great for attracting people that don't live here and whatnot. I feel like they could do a balance of both. Like, okay, you can say we're going to allocate this much towards the, the online raffle. And then I, I'm a big fan of the, not announcing, you know, releases and having them spur of the moment. And two, it's fun for, you know, people on the trail that are coming and, you know, that they, they happen to pop in old Forester and they're like, Oh, we released birthday to bourbon today or this or that, you know? And so it's like, okay, we can do this, but at least let's hang on to like say 30 or 40%, you know, of this allocation that we would do on this raffle and say, we're going to release, you know, twice a month for the next three months or something. And we don't announce it till, the first person that sees it in the, you know, the gift shop. And that's how it gets out there. Um, I think that would be a good balance, you know, to appease locals and to reduce the camping aspect of it and to attract people out of state to come here as well. I think that would be a good balance for everyone involved. I think the only problem that you have, Ryan, with the sort of let the first person see it and sort of put the bat signal in the air and then all of a sudden people start crowding around. We saw that happen with Willet. I remember it was a long time ago whenever a purple top would drop it used to be anything that was over 12 years old is when people would start going or actually it was actually anything in the 20 year old range is when people would go and we'd go we look at the cabinet and there'd be this 8 9 10 11 year old stuff and we're like nah we're good we don't want any of that we'll just want the 22 year stuff and then all of a sudden it started getting lower and lower and at any point when there was a purple top or any type of bourbon that was in the cabinet people would just start rushing to bardstown until that single barrel was sold out and that happened consistently until the point where people were calling the ABC and saying, oh, Will, it's starting to give inside information to people. And they have all these the regulars that go and get it all. And that's when Drew said, at least this is kind of all third party. I, I don't really know if Drew said this, but they, they kind of said, listen, we're done with this. I, I'd rather not release anything than having to deal with this stuff because people are just angry thinking that we're playing favoritism to other people. So I don't know if we can we can just sit there and wait and say, all right, just let the first person kind of put the information out there. I know you look at, I'm sure it happens around the country, and the same thing happens here in Louisville too, is that you have local liquor stores that are in your, your Facebook groups, your local bourbon groups, and they will post something and say, hey, store opens at 9, they'll post this at 7 a.m. or something like that. You know, here's, here's what's on the table today. And all of a sudden it goes and they're sold out by 9.05. So, I mean, there's something to be said about making sure that you're right, like an early bird catches a worm or you're just at your computer at the right time and saw it and was able to run out to the store and go go get it. I think that's a, a fair way to do it as well. Plus being able to just kind of spread it out when you do it too. Matt, now there was a, go ahead, Ron. I was going to say, I saw in the comments, Matt Layton, shout out, said, had an excellent comment that says, as for much as I hate secondary, I would rather pay secondary pricing than a trip to Kentucky because it is going to be expensive for some folks, you know, and it's like, does that then 
I don't know. What's the, I guess I'm just trying to weigh out like the, you know, whether unintended consequences of this method, you know, you'll still be able to buy it on secondary. There'll still be people who fly in and flip their bottles and, and that's that. That'll justify um, their trip. That'll justify their trip. So it's going to be more than that, but yeah, you're going to increase the price on secondary, I guess. Right. Yep. Which is, which is probably their way of trying to get that to stop too. But, um, you there's know, no I think some, some people, there's no yeah. perfect solution. Some people feel that way, but you know, I saw a few comments too. It is, it's good for the state of Kentucky and it's good for bourbon overall. I think it'll just help build the bourbon community and people who love bourbon, probably bad for people who are really diehard bourbon folks. Cause bourbon's going to become even more tight, but, um, overall for the industry, this is a good thing. Yeah. There was another good comment here by power of bourbon and basically said that Kentucky residents will be mad. We've talked about this before. And I kind of said that I, I'm a little upset about it only because back in the day i was one of those people i would go and i'd run around i would get there at midnight and i'd wait till the next morning i'd sit there and power up the gopro and film the sunrise over the over the warehouses and stuff like that and it was an opportunity to meet a lot of people there and the fact is that that opportunity for the bottles that were just going to kentucky residents is now completely wiped out or Kentucky plus surrounding areas, whatever it is by moving it to a nationwide nationwide lottery. I went from basically having a, a somewhat of a little bit of a chance of getting a bottle to absolutely no chance, because when you take it from just a couple million people to uh, a lot of million people that are going to be entering this, well, odds are you're not going to get it. Not only just, is it not that it's you had the people that were really diehards are the ones that are going to be camping out. Yeah, curse they're bringing their wife maybe they're bringing their friend and paying like a few extra dollars to be able to get another bottle but those are really diehards what's going to happen here it's you've got to deal with people that a know how to manipulate the system because i can tell you right now i can spin up four thousand email addresses today and go ahead and try to figure out a bot to be able to write all that into it right so you've got to be able to police that uh the second part is now you've got i don't know how many people that are not into bourbon but they start forwarding this email out to every person in their family saying, hey, go ahead and sign up. This happens in every single control state lottery, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and everything like that, where people are probably getting bottles, then they have no idea what they're signing up for only because they want to help out their nephew or son or daughter or whomever that is that is trying to find these. So I, I always see the, the, the anti side of this where Yes, it's it's going to make things a lot easier on them because they don't have to deal with the general public, people waiting outside, uh, fights, peeing on the sides of buildings or anything like that. But it's also, you know, creating for a lot of bourbon diehards a, a very harder way to be able to get your hands on these, especially from them. So you're 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 kind of removing that one avenue of being able to get it from the distillery. And now you've got to rely on all your relationships through liquor stores. That's about the only thing that's left in. Even that's getting dicey nowadays. I, I do think with Mictors, though, it's worked well that they've kind of sprinkled out like M10s and MRI, you know, to toasted or whatever, you know, the harder to get Mictors, they just kind of sprinkle them out throughout. There's never like a cadence or a set thing. It's just that seems to work out for them. I don't know. It's like, why can't we just allocate some of that to, you know, to folks? And I didn't mean to interrupt you, Brian. It's hard to tell on these things. Who's going to talk? No, no. No worries. I, I, I agree with that. And I, all I was doing was reminiscing and that just sucks. It goes back to the Kentuckian point, but from like 2013 to 2018, you'd sign up for the mellow moments, barbecue lunch, and you'd bring your and one and you'd come back with two of the limited editions and 
you had a nice meal and met everybody there. Let's bring back those days for the Kentuckians. Well, time to pack up and move. (laughs) (laughs) Or just bourbon fest week. You knew like everything was going to, you know, come out and you would go to the bourbon festival events and just stay in Barstown every day, knowing like, you know, that you we do. You hop, you hop from heaven Hill to four roses over to Willet, and you'd kind of hit everywhere you could in Bardstown and you'd just pick up all kinds of limited releases. You Kentucky guys are so spoiled. You didn't know the old days of having to drive to every sketchy liquor store in the Northeast Florida and Southeast Georgia area to get anything. That's it. There's no visiting distilleries. It's it's going in and risking getting shot just so you may grab a bottle of Four Roses Small Batch Limited Edition. That's what I'm going to miss the most. <laughs> I have a feeling that opportunity is still available. It, well, you never know. You never know. <laughs> So there's another good question by Matthew Layton, and he goes, so what happens with the bottles that actually go unclaimed at the end of this? And I know that we had kind of discussed the the potential of this on a, on a This Week in Bourbon. This is also the, uh, the ability for, well, we go ahead and let's say, you know, they got an allocation of, we'll say, 700 bottles for Old Force of Birthday Bourbon. Just a guess of what the the distillery would actually release. Well, let's say only 500 get picked up. Well, there you go. There's your 200 that probably gets sprinkled out throughout the year. That's that's what I would probably say what happens to them. Any other kind of thoughts or suggestions or call up your local podcaster and have him come pick up one? <laughs> I think that'll also be telling for how brands in the future do these lotteries, right? So it's going to be an evolving process. So if 70% of the bottles go unclaimed, maybe they stop doing lotteries like this uh, in the future or they try and do direct-to-consumer. They work with like a retail partner that can ship nationwide, et cetera, which makes things even harder to do um, in terms of claiming a bottle. But if not, I think sprinkling throughout the year is a great idea. Not even like in the morning like Heaven Hill does. Just, all right, one o'clock, let's throw out three bottles and see what happens. If you're if you're there that day, you know we'll see what takes place. Better yet, what they could be doing is moving to a, a daily lottery system. All right, if you take a tour today, sign up. We'll draw somebody at the end of the day to win. Just pick up your bottle the next day. Oh, that's Send, a great right? idea. And that's a that's not a bad idea either. So that means you're already committed to going to Kentucky. You've already taken a tour. That means you're invested in that brand. And say you love the tour, and maybe you'll walk away with the bottle the next day. I do like that idea. That's, that's a, a solid great idea. idea. Jordan, I know we have you on these for a reason. There was a, a, a great comment here by Brian that somehow we overlooked it. And now that the distillers are doing this, not only are they putting out and just saying, hey, go ahead and enter our lottery, but they are collecting emails left and right. So when you're able to do that, my gosh, you're able to basically get your information in front of people every single month and every single week if you want to be able to do that i mean that's something that it's for blake even with Sealbox, like you got to be able to at least purchase something first these people are just entering a lottery and now all of a sudden they'll be able to sit there and push information in front of them every single week which uh, unfortunately hurts us podcasters and youtubers and everybody else that's trying to uh, create doc- uh, content around it but this is something that they are now building up their fan base and their their contact list that's a Smart move. Any other uh, thoughts about the old lines versus lotteries? Or Actually, I'll, I'll pose another one here. So the other question we, we want to look at is not only just it coming from the distillery side, but let's also look at it from the liquor store side. Do we see this as something that our line still going to be something that people need to still care about at the liquor store? 
Um, or are they going to start taking a cue off this and then start building their database and start figuring out how they can make things a little bit more, uh, I guess you could say, I want to say fair, but essentially get out of the the game of having to worry about people, I guess, peeing in cups and kicking over chairs and lighting fires in their parking lot uh, because that's, that's, where they're, that's where they're sleeping tonight. Yeah, I think the stores probably can't do the you know, let's just put a bottle, three bottles out in the afternoon because it doesn't build any buzz that way. And some of them are going to get smaller allocations. So if you do that, you might've only gotten three of the Parker's heritage or something, and then you you're, you're out. So they're going to have to figure something else out there. Um, but also as a, as a side comment to this, have you guys heard, I th- it was in a control state, I think maybe Virginia, some people Virginia. got arrested for, mm-hmm telling uh their buddies ahead of time or selling information whatever they were i think they were actually selling inside information about when stores were getting certain allocated bottles so you're just creating this this perverse incentive maybe not perverse but you're creating this incentive to sell that kind of information so you're going to have some some clerk at the store is going to know when the four roses limited edition goes out and that information is going to go out i mean it's there's all kinds of ways for this to go south. Yeah, they're facing uh, felony embezzlement charges on that, which is, you know, seems crazy on the outset. But then you look at like they are accused of, you know, embezzling the pappy allocation or whatever it may be. But um, yeah, that's a whole other topic. But no, I mean, I, I think for stores, they would be smart to do something similar. It'll be interesting to see if stores are seeing a reduced allocation because of these more national uh, lottery systems that are going on. But I I think everybody's just trying to figure out the best way to release stuff. You know, we see it at Sealbox a lot, but you try to make it as fair as possible. At the end of the day, nobody's going to be happy, but I I have to imagine for a store, they're facing the same challenges we talked about with people camping out overnight. So if, if they can figure out a way to release it, keep a few more people happy or reduce the amount of extremely unhappy people. I think that's quite great way to do it. You know, the, the contact information, the email address and all that is that that's important. And, um, y- you know, stores would be smart to take advantage of that for some of these limited releases. Can you tell us again, the address to your warehouse where people can go and wait outside? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> It's going to be somewhere in Kentucky. And, uh, oh, is that where it's at? Okay. All right. Yeah. No, no we may do that eventually. I, I don't know. I wouldn't be, uh, it would have been fun for Sealbox because we did have a brewery right down the street where I feel like we could have partnered with. But, you know, that that's still in the back pocket. We may do that sometime. Well, we'll be, we'll be waiting on the edge of our seat to kind of hear what's going to happen there. Now, I think you all are right. I mean, this is, it's a, it's a trippy, tricky subject to kind of get into and figure out. You know, how are people getting their hands on these bottles and what can they do? I feel it's honestly is as we've starting to get into this, we've seen bourbon grow. But for people that are really getting into it now and you really want to get your hands on these, I feel it's exponentially harder than what it was when we all got started in this. For a lot of us here, I think when I first started, there there was no waiting in line. There was jumping around to stores on drop day when you knew exactly where the, the trucks were going to be. But there wasn't a whole lot of stuff that you had to wait in line for. 
up until like a year later. And that's when a lot of pappy things kind of started happening. Yeah. Now you got to wait in line for like single barrel picks or, yep. you know, just stuff that you Miller could get, 107 that yeah. you could get all the time. You know, but you know what? I think that's the thing of always saying, quote unquote, like back in my day, five years from now, people will be saying, oh, 2022 is so easy to get bourbon. <laughs> right 2027 is so hard like it's always gonna it's just always gonna be that way you keep thinking the tide's gonna change and it just doesn't <laughs> it yep. keeps getting like harder and rarer yep it's like the snl cast everybody's like ah this sucks it was so much better a few years ago and then you go a few years and like ah it sucks it was so much better a few years ago yeah you're right that's the so it's a endless cycle of it all right so let's go ahead and we'll kind of move on to our second topic and this is starting to look at the kentucky bourbon hall of fame Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it uh, a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And you can get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus Magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S dot com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. All right, so let's go ahead and we'll kind of move on to our second topic, and this is starting to look at the Kentucky Bourbon Hall of Fame. This is one of the highest prestigious honors that anybody can be uh, given inside of this particular industry. And there are six new people that are being inducted this year. First is the late Stephen Francis Thompson. He was the founder and president of Kentucky Artists and Distillery, amongst a, a lot of different things. Uh, of course, Julian Van Winkle III. Everybody knows who he is. Andrea Wilson from Michter's. She's been on the podcast plenty of times before. John Yarmouth, co-founder of the Con Congressional Bourbon Caucus. And uh, Kaveh Zamanian, who's also been on the podcast before. All these people have uh, great achievements and done a lot of things in bourbon and stuff like that. And I know that, uh, of course, at least I'm assuming none of us are on the selection committee because nobody piped in and told me that they they were before this. I have been uh, this whole time, Kenny. <laughs> <laughs> Man alive. Two gloves? Two pairs of gloves the entire time? <laughs> yeah. All right. So the way that I was kind of looking at it is thinking... Well, what would we want to see in, and not to, I'm not taking anything away from, from anybody that was inducted. Uh, when, when we start thinking about if we were to try to build the criteria and we start thinking of, you know, who's been influential in bourbon that we know, and I'm sure some of these people that, that were even on here, people probably 
across the state or sorry, across the nation probably have no idea who John Yarmouth is, but we do as locals in Kentucky. So I guess the, 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 the one thing I, I want to start thinking about is when you start looking at, if you were to start building a criteria list of what would be in your Kentucky bourbon hall of fame, where does it start? And not a person, I'm saying like just the criteria. Yeah. I mean, I think the, Best question would probably be, uh, who is the first roundtable member to get inducted, and why is it Ryan? Um, <laughs> I, like and that. I think that's where we, uh, you know, where we start. No, I mean, for me, um, y- you know, I'm, I, I feel like I'm very in this industry, but not as familiar with a few of the names on there as I probably should be. But it, you know, I. It, I think they always take the approach of, of that hometown Kentucky uh, who's making a, who's making moves and who's making a splash in Kentucky where being from the outside, you, you know, it, it's not a lot of those names that got me into bourbon, got me excited about bourbon. It's, it's more people who took Kentucky outside of the state of Kentucky. And, and you can make that uh, case for a lot of those people because, you know, like Kenny said, can't take anything away from what they've built, but, I mean, even you, you look at like what Fred's done. Um, I always tell people for, for better or worse, like Fred spread bourbon to a lot of people, either you hate them or you love them, but you know, the ascot, um, and, and just things like that. I mean, even, you know, nobody's going to nominate a bourbon Facebook group to the Kentucky hall of fame, but I guarantee you those bourbon Facebook groups got like probably 90% of this audience excited and interested in bourbon and chasing the history and the heritage and all that. But it's a bourbon Facebook group. I think Chuck Cowdery's in, in the bourbon hall of fame, but you know, his name obviously comes to mind. Uh, people like skew skews recent eats, you know, there's, there's a lot of people who I think were just, kind of on the outer edges of bourbon and pushing the online portion of it forward. And, and and that's what I think at least for kind of the circles we run in was the most important part. Um, y- you know, it may not be a master distiller uh, that got us interested, but it was a group admin that, y- you know, you may just hate, but you're still there talking about bourbon every day because of them. So um, that's, I, I, I wish there was maybe a separate category for that kind of thing, but um, I don't think we'll get there, but the highest paid Facebook moderators is, is kind of what you get. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And by the way, before we, I also forgot one person on there was representative uh, Chad McCoy, which we all need to actually give a little bit of a bow over here. Ryan, Ryan actually will be accepting on the behalf of, Mr. McCoy. At well, not the, just me, several people. But yes. yes. So he will be accepting on the behalf of him at the ceremony. I will. Yep. Me and a few others. It, that gets industry. you some practice for accepting your own. Ah, hell no. Nobody, nobody's going to know who the hell I am there. <laughs> That's called the warm <laughs> up. For, to the, yeah, it's, yeah, it's the warm up. It's the dress rehearsal for Ryan. Yeah, don't Except trip for, on your uh, slacks going up the stairs. John and I are good. I've been doing John's yard for a long time and I'm really good friends with his son. Uh, but he's he's been instrumental to the I don't agree with his politics, but he's been instrumental in getting the tariffs reduced and, you know, really focusing in on what's best for bourbon internationally. And he's he's done wonders for the, the industry. Uh, it's it's interesting. I wonder what they do have as like a criteria. You know, it'd be nice to know, like if they had like a, you know, a bullet list of things like, all right, this is like the minimal thing that you have to and, you know, to me, it's 
I, I don't know if like, you, you know, it's like you have to be in the industry so long, you know, like, you know, with like Kentucky basketball hall of fame or something, it seems like you have to be like an alumni for so many years before you're available to be inducted or nominated or whatnot. So yeah, I mean, Fred's definitely one, I think eventually will get in there. Um, oh, by far. Know, yeah. I, it's, I have a feeling the only thing that's probably holding Fred back is he just might be a little too young right now. It, that yeah. that might be the only thing. Um, well, not so it's, it, it, not not on Fred itself, but you know when you when you think of the word Hall of Fame, often so many professional Hall of Fames have a time requirement, right? You're the retired athlete for so long, or you've been a broadcaster in the sport, and you're this influential. But Berman's a little bit different, especially with some of the more recent nominees. You may not need to have a 20, 30 year career in Bourbon. It's more what's the impact you've had. So say you've only been in Bourbon for five years, 10 years, even less, two years, three years. But did you grow that category? Did you help spread the, the word of bourbon and the knowledge of bourbon amongst um, consumers, amongst just you know individuals, both locally and, and internationally? What was your impact, right? And I think that's that's when you look at a lot of the people who have gotten in the last years, it's a lot of them have been in the industry. They have not been in the industry for 20, 30 years, right? They've maybe only been in it for 10 or even less, um, but they've had a huge impact. Um, and they've really helped to grow just the overall category and just the overall awareness of bourbon. And they've done very well for the bourbon category, right? And they continue to do well. I think that's what's a little bit different when people think of Hall of Fames versus the Bourbon Hall of Fame. It's, it's yes, Hall of Fame in name, but very different than other professional Hall of Fames that you may think of. Yeah, Hall of Fame, like in, it seems like another is like you're retired, your career's over, you're, you know, this and that. Whereas these folks are pretty active still in the, you know, in the industry that are inducted. That's a, an interesting dynamic to the, especially this induction class. Um, you know, Chad McCoy's been instrumental in state laws and still really hustling to get even more state tax laws changed. And, uh, but he's very active. You know, it's not like, Whereas John, he's going to be retiring, you know, I think, I think this is his last term. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Um, cause you know, you, I look at people that got inducted, you know, say five, six years ago, they, and they weren't even like people that necessarily were helped the awareness of bourbon or this or that they were just very good at their craft. You know, they were very good. Uh, you know, I think of David Hobbs, you know, one of our good friends, Kenny, who was just like an excellent like operations manager for heaven hill and you know really um just was a great person was great for heaven hill you know and um it's yeah there's just so many interesting characters in this whole industry that deserve you know the award i I don't know necessarily should limit it to a criteria um as long as they're just good people you know doing good things for the industry i think they're probably diluting it though um i mean you've got some the with the Bardstown people having their administrative assistant, you know, entered into the Hall of Fame. I mean, maybe those women are great. And I'd say women just because it's two women who are administrative assistants who got in like in 2009 and some other year. But that's not Hall of Fame material. And it's kind of like there, there was a mess, mess or one of the comments from Matt Cusick, Q on the North Side, said something about, or are you just, involved long enough that you that you get in there or is it because you're you've got certain popularity or something but to me that's not hall of fame to me you need the longevity to do it and i thought way too much about this today and i was comparing it to the basketball hall of fame because there's that's what i'm looking at for people who you know shouldn't have been in it so 
I landed on Ralph Sampson. Should not be in the Hall of Fame. He had uh, a great college career, obviously, but he was a flop in nine years in the NBA uh, because of an injury. That's fine. But he didn't make that sort of lasting impact. He's got no titles. He was on a popular team. He's a popular guy, popular personality. And he gets in. And I think you're getting some of those people into the the Bourbon Hall of Fame. And it's frankly diluting it. Um, I mean, and why add some of the, the the people who, the historical figures who've died? George T. Stagg has no business being in the Kentucky Bourbon Hall of Fame. He came here from St. Louis, ran the the Old Taylor Distillery for a couple of years till he died. And it kept the name, so people know the Stagg name. But the guy's worthless as far as as far as a Kentucky Hall of Famer goes. So let me ask you, and this is gonna and it'll probably piss off everyone who's listening that's from Kentucky and in Kentucky. I'm sure it'll piss off the, the folks in this podcast in Kentucky. Can't wait. But so you know, with bourbon exploding, it is the the national spirit, the you know national spirit, the native spirit of America. Should we expand it? So and you know, should there be a national bourbon Hall of Fame? Because there's a lot of good people doing a lot of good things in bourbon outside of Kentucky. I wouldn't be opposed to that. I, I agree with that. I think it's not just Kentucky spirit. I think it's American native spirit. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's obviously changing in the future of, you know, bourbon. And I, I definitely think, you know, there's folks that should be in the hall of fame. You know, I think of people who have, you know, just opened up the boundaries of what is Kentucky, you know, even, a lot of people from, you know, the squibs, I call them squibs now, you know, not MGP, but, you know, they've brought a lot of interest, you know, into to bourbon. That, um, yeah. That's a good point. Why, why don't we have more of that? Is Greg Metz in the Hall of Fame? Um, him and Larry Ebersold come to mind of people who would be outside of Kentucky, but I would think have just as much influence on the bourbon world today as anyone. I actually just pulled up the list. You can you can Google it, and they have everybody from 2019 back to 2001, and I, I didn't see them on the list. So the the trouble is, well, not the trouble, but the issue with that <laughs> is going to be this is something that this is a trademark that's owned by the Kentucky Distillers Association. So obviously they have inducted people who from distilleries who are not members and people outside of distilleries who obviously aren't members. But I think it's going to be a tough sell. I don't know this. I don't have any reason to say it, but it's going to be a tough sell to bring in somebody from Finger Lakes um, who might be very worthy of it for a Kentucky award. But I I definitely don't disagree. It's a good idea to look at it from a broader perspective, and that's going to keep it from being watered down, which I think is happening. So what you're saying is, Brian, BCR needs to create the <laughs> National Association I mean, for the you know, American Whiskey Hall of Fame. $1,000 an entry. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, I've always right. said, if, if I don't it. get an award, I can just make it up myself. And Here we go. So, so back on that, Brian, so, so the KDA does run the Bourbon Hall of Fame? Yep, they own the trademark for Kentucky Bourbon How Hall many Buffalo Fame. Trace people do we have? Uh, that, that would be interesting. I know there's been a little Freddy. bit of a... Yeah. Freddie Johnson. Yeah. Freddie's on it. And Julian is, is now and Pappy was ages ago. Um, so you've got mm-hmm. those. I'm mean, Harlan's not, um, but I, uh, those are the three that come to mind that are. Yep. 
Okay. Very true. Uh, I also saw in here that President William well, Howard Taft is on the Kentucky Bourbon Hall of Fame. That seems you just a said George oh, he was a, he was a shoe in. You he forgot George Stagg there, Brian. <laughs> Did you hear me? You forgot that George T. Stagg was on there. No, he. Oh, yeah, who? no. I was saying he shouldn't have been on there. No, I know, but he was another Buffalo Trace. Uh, oh, yeah. Representative. Fair, no, yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> Maybe a little Fair bit enough. before the Buffalo Trace time. <laughs> I know, but, but yeah, we'll let it go. Well, yeah. well Brian gonna... did his acceptance speech because George T couldn't make it that day. So <laughs> <Yeah>. it, uh, <laughs> he grew his beard out for it. I mean, the other thing to, to kind of think about as well is uh, looking at the, the amount of people um, that are being inducted every single year. I, I just scrolled through here and um, there's some years where there's only one to two or maybe even three people that are being inducted. And then some years there's six, seven, eight. So there's, it's kind of varying all over the place. You know, you're right. It, it's really hard to kind of look at this and say, is there a time limit uh, of when you have to do this? Is there an impact of what they're making? And a lot of people that are, that are in this list, they're the most of the people that are kind of industry focused. They're not necessarily consumer focused. And I think that's probably one thing that, that we're all missing is that, you know, when we start looking at uh, who makes the impact, what are the who's getting the most Instagram likes, who's pulling the YouTube views? I, I don't think they're looking at that and, you know, thinking that some of these people on here are the ones that that are maybe the ones that are building that. Uh, instead, as Brian hinted at earlier, they're the ones that are, you know, honing the craft. They're the ones that maybe have, you know, extended an olive branch to another distillery or helped somebody out or, or did something that. Uh, is is just really good for for what they're doing. So it's it's really hard to kind of look at that. I mean, let's let's take a great example of of who we had on the show at one point was Kathleen D. Benedetto. I had no idea who she was until I heard her story and understood exactly what she did for Jim Beam and helped build the Booker's brand and Knob Creek and and all that sort of stuff. And so I also feel that there's some stories that have kind of yet to be discovered. And maybe that's what we need to do as people with inside of the bourbon media space is try to figure out exactly who are those people that still need to be discovered and can tell that story. And, and we can get that in, like, you know, amplify. What about like, yeah, like Peggy No and Bernie Lubbers and all those folks. They're not in yet, right? Pe Peggy, Peggy No Stevens is. Peggy yeah. No, okay. She was back in 2019. I think Aaron from Smoke Wagon should do it. Come in on a Corvette, you know. <laughs> Having a cigar and you know, <laughs> doing a review of batch 153 CS, which I mean, you make that joke, but you think about no, like how, how many people really are yeah. like, how big of an impact is that having on like just the Instagram? Exactly, world I agree. Into bourbon. Like, I think that's just as impactful. I think he brought the and, West Coast, um, you know, he yeah. definitely appealed to the West Coast consumer and got them into bourbon for sure. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt. And then, but, uh, Rare Birds action is Dave Pickerel in the Hall of Fame, and I was looking, and uh, I just did a look, and he's he not has in the Hall of Fame, be, right? He's, he's not, not in the Hall of Fame. Not in the Hall yeah, of Fame. I don't think this is, is what this is. It's surprising. Really, that is so, surprising. Yeah, yeah, it's he's not. I, I I did a did a word search really quickly, so he is not in there. So that's it. Kind of goes to show you, it's 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 hard to figure out exactly who is yeah. in the Hall of Fame and, and kind of how that criteria is determined, but you know. I don't think we've established what our criteria is. We kind of mostly just <laughs> looked at it and figured out like, what do they, think? it's easier like, to critique other people's work than come up with your own work. So oh, I'm, exactly. I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, I think that's going to kind of wrap it up for, for this one. And, uh, you know, we had a, a, a good amount or do you all want to hit the last topic? Uh, I mean, we just started pretty late Hit the last topic if you want. All right. Why not? Sure. Yeah. That's a quick one. 
All right. So for the last topic, we're going to revive something that is, gosh, I think it was from like BCR number three when we went through this. And I, before we started, I was thinking once we get to BCR 100, we're going to run out of stuff. We're just going to go and revisit all the old questions and kind of rehash some of these things and see if any ideas or things that we thought had changed. I didn't go back and look and listen and figure out what did we say with this, but there was the question that popped up that said, what is the cheapest bottle that you should own with inside of your collection, your bar or anything like that? What did I say? No, I'm asking you. We'll see. We'll have to go back and I, I think our, our listeners will keep us honest and they'll go back and listen to that one and they'll compare it to what we, what we're saying now. So for, if you had to go, no, look, Ryan, no cheating. Don't look at your <laughs> shelf. All right. So you gotta, you gotta think like, what is the cheapest bottle that you should own that you can kind of always go to? Oh gosh, there's Rare Bird. I was saying pretty easy. Wild Turkey. Yeah, I mean, call tonight. you know, I, I figured, I, f- I figured he'd be uh, jumping in here soon, old DJ, with the the Wild Turkey call. But he, he's not wrong. I mean, Wild Turkey one one hundred one is definitely up there. Uh, I I'd put Maker's Mark up there as well, and you, you know, anything bottled and bond that you can get from Evan Williams or excuse me from Heaven Hill. Well, I'd, I'd also include in that, whether that's JW Dan, you know, Evan Williams, I put those three in there. I think they're, you know, extremely accessible in today's world. The, uh, the, the other one I was trying to think of you get earlier one, Blake, you get one, you're not, you're not the whole damn show. No, no, no. I, I've got the next 15 minutes. I was told, <laughs> okay, if I have to choose one, go Blake make as the floor, everyone make makers, Mark, get the red wax. Everybody loves it it's it's affordable and available yeah i was i was drinking this weekend um evan williams 1783 and it had a 1799 price tag and i was like this is hard to beat (laughs) you know that's that was my pick right there it's sorry no it's it's a great bourbon there's nothing to be sorry about it's it sips okay right there's nothing special but it's not bad mix is fantastic good presentation you can usually find it for well under 20 bucks you can't go wrong with stocking that i always have a bottle in my bar yeah. Yep. I, I agree with those. And since we were reminiscing earlier, I, I gotta say it as a Kentuckian, the eleven ninety-nine six year Heaven Hill bottled in bond. Um Rest in still, peace. still hanging on to a few. It used to be the Hera House bourbon. So it I'm going through them. I'm not saving them, but um that used to be absolutely hands down the yep. uh, lowest price bourbon that you had to have. Uh now I I'm probably leaning more for bottled and bond. I'm probably leaning more towards old granddad instead of the Evan Williams, but that 1793, I'm, I'm with you on that. Uh, absolutely. But I, if I'm going to say one for currently right now that I'd go get, it's be that orange top, um, uh, old granddad. Well, I would imagine if we listen to that other episode, that heaven hill bottle of bond is probably on there if i had to guess that's that's gonna be on there. better early times bald and bond I, I i don't know how it is i don't think early recently, times bond was it was not around when we did that maybe not but i don't know and i haven't bought some in quite some time since they sold but you know when it first came out i was blown away by that stuff so it was good and i'll be honest for me my my one bottle you should have that's kind of be cheap enough is just going to be your standard four roses yellow label. I think that's just another solid one. It just goes back into the the old mantra is have you ever had a bad four roses? And odds are it's probably no. So that's that's where I'm gonna kind of hang my hat on there. 
And that's why I'm the master blender. Not <laughs> that blends 11 different mash bills, my friend. Okay. Golly. Yeah. For some reason, I just don't like the, the yellow label. I don't know. Can't get on it. But nope. More that's okay. I, I had never had it till Jim Rutledge was drinking it at his retirement party. And he explained <laughs> to me that's what he always drank when it's something that was out in the, in the public. He said it's the perfect proof for that. And, uh, and he's not wrong. Ryan, if it makes you feel any better, Mark Andrew, 72, and DJ from Rare Bird both say that not a la- not a yellow label fan, and they say it tastes like one bad blend. So. <laughs> well, it's still pretty good. Yeah, well, at least, you know, you're the blender. I'm just the guy that runs the spreadsheet, so I'm glad it all works out. But this was another fantastic bourbon community roundtable to kind of get back into this and and kind of talk about some some good topics i honestly like the one at the very top of the show because it affects a lot of people that are in the bourbon world and me people it's not going to stop people from lining up in lines whether you're in a control state whether you know there's a liquor store that's going to be releasing something you're still going to go camp out by all means keep doing it and if you are at the point where you say it's not worth the time i'll just go ahead and pay whatever is in the secondary market and have it shipped to me that's okay too uh, it's unfortunate for a lot of us who used to go and really try to go with the hunt. Now the, the online national sweepstakes has kind of dwindled that into nothing, but you know, hopefully there's a lot of other good bourbons on the market that, you know, you don't have to sit there and say, yeah, well, you know, I missed out this one bottle or every single limited release. And hopefully you just get to try your luck every single year and uh, go back to what we have been talking about for years now, that single barrel picks are the new unicorn. So go ahead and join all of our single barrel clubs or go pick some off of Blake's uh, seal box page right now on case or what was it? Promo code case right now. You can go ahead and get six bottles. <laughs> Collection case. Yeah. You don't even need a promo code. It's just automatic. There you go. Perfect. Perfect. All right. Let's go ahead. We'll wrap it up. So, Jordan, you go first. Just quick little outro. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Jordan, one of the three guys from Breaking Bourbon at BreakingBourbon.com. Always good to talk to you guys. And Brian. All right. I'm glad I had a backup computer. Um, that way I didn't miss it. But uh, thanks for having me again, Brian, with Sipping Corn. Find me there on the socials and at bourbonjustice.com. Do I need to say it? For, all right, Blake, you too. Thank you for that intro, Kenny. <laughs> Once again, I'm Blake from Sealbox and Bourbon are always fun to be here. And yeah, enjoyed it. Good questions tonight. So thanks again. Perfect. And make sure you follow them on all the social handles. Follow Bourbon Pursuit wherever you get your podcast. And if you do like the show, make sure you go ahead and leave us a rating, leave us a review, tell somebody about it, share it with a friend, whatever it is, get them more into bourbon, get them listen to podcasts, whatever it takes, help grow the, well, I'd say help grow it, but then you're going to ruin your chances of getting allocated bourbon too. But that's just, yep. that's the part of making <laughs> this all work. So, and real quick, shout out to Fred and the, everyone involved uh, with the, you know, the, the recent Kentucky fundraiser, or I know Brian had a, hand in it too so awesome of the bourbon community to get it doing the charity thing for our state is again in a time of need and tragedy so thank you all for all the support and everyone behind that so just want to say that real quick and, and if i can uh piggyback on that thank you thanks ryan for that we we last night at 11 when it closed we were at 1.3 something million dollars for uh eastern kentucky flood relief there's still some cash donations coming in so there's still some there's still some money to count, so that number should go up. But uh, thank you for everyone in the bourbon community. I mean, that's something that I've always seen personally, that we, we come together and uh, it's it happened here again. So thank you, everyone. Yep. Kudos. Yep. Way to go, everyone. 
All right, with that, cheers, everybody. We'll see you next week.